The following is a Kingfisher Media production. How much do we really know about strangers? Is it fair to assume that they're different from us, or should we be searching for the things that we can relate to? We shouldn't look so hard at the things we don't understand or agree with. We should look at the things that make us think, this is what I like about you. I'm your host, AC Fisher. With me is... Alexis Arolin. And with us is Dave Warnock. Dave, welcome to the show. Hey guys, good to be here. I know we already kind of talked about it a few minutes ago, but I wanted to say happy inauguration day to all the U.S. citizens out there. I just had to put that out there. Very exciting day for us. Uh, Very emotional day. Uh, So that's something we already have in common (laughs) that we kind of talked about, but... Tell us a little bit about yourself, Dave, and like who you are. Well, I'm a uh, former evangelical Christian um, slash pastor. Um, I was a, an evangelical Christian for about 36, 37 years. Many of those years was involved as an associate pastor or a youth pastor. You know, different, different flavors of pastoral ministry mixed into those years as an evangelical Christian. And about 10 years ago, I maybe it's been about 11 years now, I kicked that to the curb, evangelical Christianity. And I and I went, I, I, I didn't pause at a more progressive strain of Christianity looking for a nicer version of God. I just let it all go, basically saying that if the biblical God that I'd given my life to was not true and real, then I really didn't have a need for any deity. So I began to identify as an agnostic atheist and didn't use the big the the big A word for a long time because it's such an inflammatory word in a lot of people's. It can elicit a, a fairly strong response in a lot of people. But more so in the last couple of years, since I've become a little more activist in the atheist movement, I've begun, begun to realize that I, me personally, and I wish more of us would use the word more. Um, use it more because it needs to be stripped of its of its um, negative connotations. It simply means I don't see any evidence for a God, and therefore I don't see a compelling reason to believe in one. That's all it means. It doesn't mean right. an evil person or mean or angry. It's just I don't I don't see a need to to claim a deity in my life. And so that's it. And then the last couple of years, almost two years now, I've been dealing with the ALS thing <clears> we talked about before another podcast and and that has caused me to develop the thing called dying out loud which was uh is um, a vehicle for me to talk about what's important in life in in the face of a, a terminal illness as an atheist looking at death as opposed to my former view as an evangelical christian and so i've spent a lot of time on podcasts and youtube shows and prior to covid traveling around speaking at different secular venues about the dying out loud message which is essentially about living out loud and grabbing the most out of life because this is the one life we have right thanks dave summary of me (laughs) yeah that's that's a great summary i mean two things that come immediately to the forefront of my mind when you talk about um a departure from a lifetime of faith and then also uh, a diagnosis with 
with ALS, I mean, these are two things that would really prompt any person to take a complete inventory of life and consider every detail of it. Like not just the things that you were on the fence about before, but the things that you were sure were true, even those have to be looked at. Absolutely. I, in fact, I, you know, there's a couple of phrases that are used in the dying out loud stuff, the carpe, the fucking diem. And, and then I've also talked a lot about the, the reality that we don't live a life. We live a life of moments in a, a phrase that I, a quote that I've adapted a long time ago, adopted is we do not remember days. We remember moments. And that's true in that life is comprised of singular moments that oftentimes are not related to one another. Whereas as a Christian, everything had to fit together into some great big plan and purpose that God had for us. And it made life very complicated and confusing oftentimes. If a friend died of cancer, you had to figure out what is God in this? What is God saying? What is God doing? If I get diagnosed with a terminal illness, where is God in this? What's God saying? What's God doing? What's God's will? Is he going to heal me? Does he have a higher purpose for me? Is he calling me home? All of that tends to filter through your brain and make everything a lot more complicated than it needs to be. It's just simply life. Life happens. Shit happens. Yeah. Good stuff, bad stuff. And, and my response to that needs to be, and mine is, where are the moments? Where can I find the moments? What are the moments that I can glean from these days that are passing through my life? And how do I make sure that I don't miss the moments? Because that's what happens. Life happens. Life comes at you fast, as they say. And if we're not careful, we miss the moments that are contained therein. And so that's kind of been my ideology for several years. And then when I got the diagnosis two years ago, I just amplified that. I magnified that. I was already thinking about, you know, that carpe the fucking diem was the way to live. And then I got this diagnosis, which left me a little bit discombobulated in the sense that I don't know how long I have here. It could be a year, could be two years. How quickly will I degenerate? All those things. So I just kind of mashed the accelerator down and, and said, I got to get these moments as fast as I can. What's been your best uh, moment kind of so been, far? My uh, best yeah, moment? Same question. yeah, what's been your best moment? What's been your best moment? Oh, so far? gosh, you know, I, I, I can't remember when it was we talked last, but, um, you know, COVID really threw a wrench into things because we were we were traveling, um, you know, doing a lot of stuff on the road and we had plans to go to Europe and UK and uh, lots of different speaking engagements over there and meeting people and all that got scrambled. Um, an overall moment that continues to be the a best moment is the partnership with my with my girl Bevan. Um, that came that came after the diagnosis. We we started dating right after that, and it's been a couple almost a couple years now. And you know it's we've had some rough rough uh, times in that, but overall it's it's been a wonder it's been a wonderful thing and continues to be i mean i'm here in charlotte with her now and we shared some of those moments even post-covid we made a decision to do some things we went to the grand canyon and did a lot of uh out west traveling and saw some national parks and things and took a helicopter ride over the grand canyon which was just fucking 
amazing. I saw the photos. Yeah. They were great. I, I, I tell everyone, if you're going to get to the Grand Canyon, spend the extra bucks and do the helicopter. You can't believe what it's like. You just can't believe it. I mean, you can stand on the edge of it and see all of the, the viewpoints they have. But when you go over it, you see the enormity of it. And to imagine that that's only 6,000 years old. You know, that yeah. all that happened to this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Only 6,000. Yeah. And then shortly after that, we did a, another bucket list thing. I jumped out of an airplane to live to tell about it. We did yeah, I saw that too. Uh, she had done, yeah, she had done the, the skydiving before, but I'd never done that. And, and that, was a, that was a cool moment too, because um, when, we're, when we're flying, you know, you're tandem, I got this dude on my back. And, you know, we chatted a bit before we went up, but I didn't tell him I had ALS. But as I'm flying through the air, they want you to wave at the cameraman and high five them. I can't get my arms to yeah. move. They're just, they're just flapping at my side like a fan on a fish. And I cannot get them up. And I'm just, oh. and so as when the chute opened and we're floating, I told him, I said, listen, dude, in case you're wondering why I look so weird, I got ALS. Here's that's the thing. And man, he said, oh, dude. He said, I, I have a friend who died from ALS. I understand. He said, I'm going to give you the ride of your life. Oh, awesome. That must have been therapeutic for the both of you, I think. It was. It was a really cool moment. That was awesome. And he, you know, we floated a little extra and went. He, he said, here, pull the thing and guide it. And it was more than he does with normal, with other people. And it was, he wanted to make it special. You feel like you, I mean, obviously you have a connection with this person now, like up here, you know, in your mind. Yeah. That's a moment. And, He's and a part got, of one of your moments. Yeah. We got down to the ground and we told everyone, because they're picking us up in a cart and Bevan was in a, she had landed before me and we all got in the cart and, and we told everybody and everybody was high-fiving and it was just kind of, it made everybody's experience that much more special, which was cool. You know, I just didn't, I didn't see that coming and. So I've just learned to just be open about it, you know, and just to, this is, this is me. This is who I am. This is what, you know, we'll have people over working at the house and I'll just tell them, Hey dude, I would help you pick that up, but I can't cause I, my arms don't work and I have ALS and I don't know, just, I don't do it to get anybody's sympathy. I just kind of want to be real with people. And I think yeah. it, it connects you with them in a different way. Thank you for listening to What I Like About You. Please remember to like, follow, and share. Do you feel like your openness about your diagnosis has allowed you to observe more goodness in the people around you than maybe you had opportunity to observe before? Uh, I think so. I think people, they do respond to you differently. Um, and treat you differently when they know that you have a terminal disease and the good, most people, um, our ex-president accepted, um, most people, most, I can't, I can't not get a dig in here. It's okay. Yes. <laughs> for four fucking years, I'm going to, you know, come on. Um, oh, most people, <laughs> most people want to be good and are good inside. And that's the thing, you know, I love to, attitude about this new show that you're doing because it's true most people are looking for the good they want the best for their fellow friend neighbor fellow american family member we are all divided we're divided more than we've ever been mm -hmm. i mean 
Uh, Trump has incited division. He has, he has caused us to find the worst in our neighbor and to amplify yeah. that. And he's always pushing against. He can't ever say, he could never say, I'm proud of what we did. I, I did this better than anyone else. No one else could have done this. You know, it's, it's just always celebrating our division and causing division. Whereas Biden from the get go today uh, was, we're going to find what unites us. We're, we're a United States. We're more alike than we are different. And let's find those similarities. Let's find what unites us and let's don't focus on what, on how we're different. And that's, that's the only hope for us as a country, as, as family, as, humans, we are more alike than we're different. We just have to find those similarities and, and amplify and magnify them. So yeah, I think we've been thinking a lot about what unifies us so far today. I've got a potentially divisive question to ask you. And this is one of those questions that I've seen almost cause people to come to blows. Yeah. But I'll ask it at the risk of the piece here today. <laughs> Cats or dogs, Dave? I can't talk to you anymore. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I, I love dogs. Um, I would love cats, but they don't love me because I'm allergic to them. So Yeah, me too. <laughs> that's on them. That's on them. Yeah. <laughs> there we yeah. go. Not my problem. Yeah. <laughs> right. I've often said that I, I, I can't develop any real affection for cats because it takes almost all of my energy trying to relate to the women in my life. Trying to relate to one more fickle animal just isn't something I got the energy for. <laughs> oh, did you just compare women to fickle animals? Oh, like in our worst state. Absolutely. Dave, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Like, I will be the first to admit that. Yes. I feel like I should just mute my microphone and shut up now. (laughs) Yeah. No, No, cats just kind of have, have, I don't give a fuck attitude. Yeah. Just kind of why I like them. (laughs) Food out and leave me alone. Would you please? I admire that, but I kind of have trouble warming up to it at the same time. Yeah. I think a lot of us are more alike than cats than we realize. (laughs) But on the flip side, sometimes dogs can be just annoyingly needy, you know, like, (laughs) feed me, pet me, feed me, pet me, pet me, do this, do this, do this. (laughs) No, but seriously, people are like that too. Yeah. People are like that too. I mean, you know, I mean, it's funny you ask a simple question like cats or dogs, but you know, it's like, yeah, there's all kinds of people in the world. What do you prefer? And how do we tolerate, you know, how do we, you know, I don't know, deal with all of these people in our lives who aren't like us or who are too like us? Well, the challenge we've got now post-Trump, and this is, I, you know, I don't mean to talk about it much because it's, but it's just, it's so in our forefront right now because of today, mm-hmm. just a, a monumental day. Yeah. Um, he really did divide. I mean, he, went out of his way to divide and it caused division. I know people, my, I don't, my family, I, my, my brothers and mom, they're all Trumpers in East Texas. And, and um, I think a couple of my kids are and my son and his wife were very much aligned with my thinking, but used to, you could disagree and still maintain civility. I mean, I looked at the, the inauguration today and the former presidents that were there, Bush and Clinton and Obama and Carter would have been there, but and they, they 
spoke his name out. You got Democrats, you got Republicans, there are differences of opinion, different ways that they want to govern, different things that they prioritize, but they got along. And it's like this um, fraternity almost of, of brothers. They're there. You see them there kind of chatting with each other and they're not just mortal enemies. Can you imagine Donald Trump in that scenario? Can you yeah, imagine him hanging out with those guys? <laughs> right. He's got it in him. And that's why he wasn't there today. He, he can't accept losing. He can't be gracious. He can't be kind. Um, it's not in him. It's not who he is. He can't yeah. summon it forth. And I do believe that that's the signs of a very broken person. I believe he's very broken. Um, everything I've read about him indicates that he's just came from a very dysfunctional, unloving family. And of course, you know, he, he can't he can't give you what he doesn't have. And, oh, and that's not his fault. But he never should have been president. He shouldn't be mayor of a town of 50 people, much less president of the United States of America. So what that says to me that's more alarming is that we've got some big problems in this country, that that many people think he's someone that should lead us. That's the problem. So how do I how do I bridge that gap with my family members who still love Donald Trump and think he's awesome and want him to be president? And think that God wants him there because they're all Christians and they think he's anointed by God to be King Donald. How do I bridge that gap with them? That's what I'm asking you guys. I could ask you the same question. I don't have a clue. (laughs) No, this is this is something we bump up against all the time. Yes, absolutely. I don't know how to talk to them about this stuff. I yeah, it's honestly it's off the table for for my mother and I. I I can't do it. I mean, yeah. I I'm mean, a bit more stubborn than yeah. that, I guess. I want to ask my evangelical pastor brother, brother, you think that God's anointed this guy who's demonstrably the least Christian president we've ever seen? I mean, right. I mean morally and ethically and every other way you can imagine. He doesn't even know it, doesn't even know how to hold a Bible, much less read one. Brother, right. my pastor brother, what do what explain this to me, please? Because I don't understand. And I look back on my evangelical past and I shudder to think how I would have handled Trump as an evangelical Christian. I really don't know the answer to that. Uh, I, I I have to think that I would I would not have been able to embrace him because I just can't imagine me feeling like he was in any way okay what about yeah. you, you i know, don't know to, if i grew up i oh go ahead ac no just i, I wanted to back up a little bit because i think that your mm-hmm. your question like how do we bridge that gap like that's a powerful question and i think in this time where we're trying to pick up the pieces of four years of intentional propaganda trying to convince us that it's us versus them right. no matter how friendly some of us are i think on some level we've bought into the propaganda. Yeah. You know, and we talked, we talked to um, a very philosophical guest uh, a few days ago, Daniel Levin. And he brought up a point that kind of, it, it caught me off guard. I'd always thought, you know, people commonly look at love and hate as polar opposites. I've never seen it that way. I've always thought love and hate are on one end of the spectrum and apathy is on the other end. I agree with that. Yeah. And 
he kind of disagreed with me on that. And it's given me a lot of pause for thought because he said the opposite of love is not apathy. The lo- opposite of love is fear. And I think yeah. that all this division that we're seeing play out and have seen played out over the last four years, it's been fear has been the biggest tool in Trump's arsenal. And oh, yeah. The biggest tool in his followers' yeah. arsenal. So, oh, yeah. I think as far as how to bridge the gap, that that fear that we've been bludgeoned with really offers the biggest clue. Like, how do we address that fear? Is there some sort of common ground underneath the fear that allows us all to similarly view the world? And this is the part I struggle with. You know, like I always want to try to find the common ground in a conflict. But as we all know, sometimes looking for that common ground does seem to escalate the conflict sometimes. You are listening to What I Like About You. Please remember to like, follow, and share. Like, back to what Dave was saying, you know, what would that have been like if I had been an evangelical still and Trump was my president? You know, I was thinking about how scared I was growing up just being in, you know, raised in a Christian environment, how scared I was of hell and demons and things like that. Um, Fear is definitely a motivator to do whatever you feel that you need to do to survive, whether Mm -hmm. that fear is actually valid or not it eats people, it eats them on the inside and it grows. And you can't, you can't just like shirk it off. I mean, it's taken me years, you know, to kind of get over some of the fears that I've had. Um, so when someone is afraid, that's when they start, you know, becoming angry and, Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of pushback. So on the other, excuse me, on the other end of things, what do you think we should do with people who we know are like afraid? And this is why they do these things. You know, how do we learn to alleviate fears and just, I don't know, learn how to support each other, even though we are on opposite sides of, of our, of our beliefs. Well, I think what we're, we're all groping for here is how do we bridge the gap? Um, We were talking about fear, love, hate, apathy, Mm -hmm. Um, Donald did, Trump did run on a candidacy of fear to make us fear one another and, and to fear the other, uh, the, the immigrants are going to come take our jobs. So we need to build a wall. Uh, the, 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 he's clearly a racist and that's always playing on a hate that stems from a fear of them. We don't understand them because they're different. So we're afraid of them. And that comes out in hate, anger, and violence. Um, and so I, the only way I know how to address fear is to ask someone, what is it you're afraid of? I've dealt with this some in the last, in the dying out loud thing and talking about death and people's fear of death. I've had a lot of questions about people. And I've had people approach me individually and send me messages and things about their their paralysis and their fear of, of dying and how do I approach that and how do I not be afraid of it? Cause I'm really not. And I, I, the way that I've been able to get through to some of them is to break it down. What is it you're afraid of specifically? Let's don't use the word death or dying. Let's tear that apart. What does that mean? 
Mm. And when they stop to think about it in those terms, it takes a little bit of the, the, the biggest thing we fear is the unknown, whether it's another person or what we don't know about them or, or what happens when we die. And uh, when I ask them, what do you think it's going to be like when you're dead? They usually, if they stop to think about it, they realize I won't be aware of anything. It won't, I won't, it'll be like before I was born. Well, how were you then? You know, I was okay. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Um, I don't remember anything. (laughs) Yeah. So when you think about it and you stop and analyze it, it kind of takes the, the mystery away from it and, and diffuses the fear a little bit. I think if we can, if I could talk to my evangelical friends and say, Tell me what you're afraid of with Joe Biden. What do you think he's going to do to you? What do you think the, the evil Democrats are going to do? The liberals, the libtards. What is it that all these phrases you use, what do they mean to you? Help me understand why you're afraid. Um, if we can have those conversations with civility and compassion, then we might can help some people come to better understandings of what's real. The problem we're dealing with here, though, and we're talking about the political divide here, is they're operating with different facts than we are. Mm-hmm. You can't yeah. agree on what's true. Right. Then you really don't have much way to converse. Right. And, and they, that's, yeah. also true. that's also true with the divide in religion. When I talk to my religious friends and, and they want to convince me that this, this, and this is true, and I ask them to show me the evidence for that and they can't they've got one version of what's true and i've got another so we don't have much commonality there right and a lot of them don't believe in science so they're not going to do the research themselves yeah you know because they believe that the information that they're given is somehow god ordained and i really don't have as many answers as i would like to have (laughs) yeah i spent a good amount of time over the last year or so talking to a pro-Trump, ultra-right-wing evangelical Christian who's close to somebody who's close to me. Mm -hmm. And at first, I I really felt like I was sitting across from a two-headed monster. Like, there's no chance I'm ever going to have anything in common with this woman. She is just straight-up nuts. (laughs) But, yeah... Just to let you in on the secret here, Dave, the reason that Alexis is laughing is I'm talking about her mother. (laughs) But what I learned is she that far right? I mean, oh, yeah, she's kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, like Hillary's selling baby parts in the the basement of an ice cream parlor. So you had conversations with her. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, right, right. He can handle it. I can't. What was that like? infuriating at the beginning to be honest because i couldn't identify any common ground and of course i'm trying really really hard not to carry secondhand hurts into the conversation with me because here is a person that has caused a lot of damage to somebody that i care very deeply for but at the same time she hasn't done anything directly to me and i'm trying to keep that in mind You know, but as I started conversing with her and I started looking through the insanity that was hitting me in the face, I started noticing that there were a lot of philosophical similarities between her and I. The things that we actually wanted out of life were the same things. Right. We had all of the same questions. 
we arrive at drastically different conclusions, but I mean, even the process that we went through to reach the answers up until a certain point were very similar. So I realized that a lot of these people probably are like that. They want the same things out of life that I do. You know, oh, like we, we sort yeah. of like, we, we look at the world around us. We're identifying all the same stuff. Mm-hmm. Maybe we're looking through slightly different lenses at times, but you know, underneath it all, it's like, I wasn't dealing with a two headed monster for very long. I mean, it, it took me very little time to realize that, okay, this woman, first of all, isn't an abuser. She's a victim. She's not stupid. She's misinformed. She's not a right. bigot. She's just horribly ignorant and mm-hmm. has been overloaded with fear. Yeah. And how would any of us react in that environment? I mean, if I'm going to be honest, I used to be that person back in my years in, in the church. You know, and I think how would I have like responded to a Trump presidency? Well, I don't have to go very far. I mean, Bush was president uh, W that is when I was very much involved in the church and there was nothing he could do that would make him so stupid or so immoral that I would stop supporting him blindly, even as a Canadian, (laughs) just because he stood for one thing that I stood for, you know, which was, you know, like being an anti-lifer or or an anti-choicer, I should say. Right. Pro-life, yeah. Yeah, pro, pro-life, pro anti-choice. You know, it's like... Unless you're actually living, then we want to execute you, but go yeah, on. Yeah, it's like, that, that's all it took. It's just like that that one singular issue blinded me to everything else because that one singular issue was a big ticket item for me. How people of color were treated, which again is really stupid because I am a person of color, but I never saw any of the ill effects of that type of presidency. I was insulated because I lived in Canada. The color of my skin was not a problem. Mm-hmm. So for a president to sort of take a shit on piece, people of color, not a big deal. You want to take a shit on people with different sexual orientations. Again, not a big deal. It doesn't affect me. Right. But saving those babies. Yeah. Well, what, yeah. what is it? You said she's loaded with fear. Could you ever identify what what's she afraid of? Some questions really aren't very easy to explore, but I think the conversation still needs to be had. Next time we continue our conversation with Dave Warnock and continue to explore what's going on with the other side of the conversation. How do we connect with these people that seem determined to tear down everything that we try to build up?